Uh, but uh, I want to invite David to come up here to share God's word with us this morning. We're grateful to have him here, and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for this church. Father, we, uh, we are glad to be here, Lord, and um, I'm very, very glad and honored to have David here this morning uh, sharing, uh, sharing from his heart, Lord, and sharing from your word, God. I pray that it would lead us, it would challenge us, and it would equip us for the days ahead and the ministry ahead that you have uh, for, for me, for Pastor Will, for uh, this church here at Crossroad. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Chris, and uh, uh, thank you, Pastor Will, for letting me uh, be uh, here today. Uh, this is a great honor to, to get to be a part of uh, this service and get to be with you all. I met your staff, I met Pastor Will, and what a, a great man he is. I, I know Chris speaks so highly of you, and thank you for your uh, leadership in his life. And, of course, I know Chris and uh, Alicia, and are very grateful for them. I met Jed uh, this week over a Zoom call as we were getting to uh, talk some about the service, and then met Cindy and her husband David this morning, and just had uh, a delightful time. I want to just tell you that uh, this is my first time being in the state of Iowa, and uh, it's a, um, a great experience. And uh, I look forward maybe to God letting me be back in this place sometime. Thank you for your graciousness and thank you for your, your kindness to me. To tell you how much I love Chris and how much I love Alicia would be uh, very difficult to do that. He referred to me as a mentor, but I want you to know something they are co-laborers in ministry. But more than that, they are friends. And uh, Alicia, my Jenna, my wife, wishes she could be here with you today on this special day. But we're very grateful and thank you for letting us be a part of this. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to find the New Testament book of Hebrews. And we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 12 uh, this morning and be there really all of our time in Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Uh, in fact, I'm going to ask you if you would uh, to listen carefully as I follow along. We're going to look at 17, the first 17 verses, but I'm going to only read the first three now. We'll look at some of the others in a few minutes. So you follow along as I read beginning in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him 
who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, I really thought today, Chris, about what it is that I would charge you and really how I would charge your church here, the, the, the Lord's church that you uh, lead under the, your pastor's leadership as well. How I would charge you, and I thought about several things. I thought, for example, Chris, that I might charge you out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, that says, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. And that would be a good charge. But folks, I want you to know something. I already know Chris. <laughs> and I already know that Chris is going to stay true to the word. I already know that Chris is going to preach the word. And I know that he's not going to get saddled by little gimmicks and little stories and little anecdotes and little things that distract us from the word. I know Chris and I know that he's going to preach the word. So I know you're already going to do that. I thought about charging you the way the Apostle Paul charged Titus in Titus, in Titus chapter 2 verse 15. When he said, these things speak and exhort and approve and reprove with all authority. The phrase, these things that he's talking about there are the things that, that Paul has just spoken to Titus. And by the way, we know these things now to be the word of God. So he's challenging him and charging him again to preach the word. And there again, Chris, I know that you're going to do that. Uh, I thought that I might charge you, Chris, and church, I thought I might charge you the way the Apostle Paul charged Philemon. When he told Philemon in Philemon chapter 1 verse 20 to refresh my heart in Christ. To refresh my heart in Christ. But I have to tell you something. Chris, you already do that. When I got the phone call to uh, uh, possibly come and be a part of today. And then when we talked later in the week. I want you all to know. The taste of Christ is rich in my mouth. Because of the conversation with Chris. And, by the way, with Jed. He gives the fragrance of Christ in his life. And so, you already refresh my spirit. And thank you for that. And so, what I want to do today is charge you with something different. I want to charge you with the scriptural principle to endure well. And I want to charge all of you as a church, and by the way, myself, as we journey through this thing called life, I, I want to challenge us and charge us all to endure well. That's my charge to Chris and my charge to the Crossroads Church family. If you look back in your Bibles at Hebrews chapter 12, there's a word that appears several times, and it's, it's a reoccurring word, and that word helps us to understand somewhat of the theme of this passage, and it's the word endure, 
or the word endurance. Notice, for example, in verse 1 of chapter 12, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And, let, and notice this phrase, and let us run with endurance. Run with endurance. He is telling us to endure well. And then if you look in verse 2, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, and notice what it says about Jesus, endured the cross, despising the shame. He is saying to us that Jesus endured well and that we are to endure well. In verse 3, he says, For consider him who has endured, notice this, such hostility by sinners against himself. The world around us is getting more hostile, not only to the, the, the uh, belief of Christianity, but is getting hostile to us as believers. And the Bible is telling us, Chris, and the Bible is telling all of us to endure as Jesus endured. Look down in verse 7, if you would. In verse 7, it, is, it says, It is for discipline that you endure. Four times he uses the word endured or the word endure or the word endurance. And what he's telling us here is that uh, uh, we are to endure this thing life, and this thing called life, and he's telling us to endure well. And with that in mind, and with some of the imagery that this passage gives us, what I'd like for us to do today is think about some things that we are to endure and why we are to endure. I'm going to give you five points today. Down in the south, our services last about two and a half hours. And Chris said you would be used to that. So, no, I, I'm, just, I'm just teasing you. Um, I want us to think about five reasons that we need to endure. First of all, we must endure the race set before us. Look in your Bibles, if you would, again at verse 1. At the latter part of verse 1, he says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is this race? This race that uh, the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about here is this thing called life. This thing called living. We are charged in this passage to run because life can be difficult. The race before us, the life that God has called, Chris, you to run in your calling. And by the way, the, the race that God has called all of you to run in your life's calling. Whatever that race is, the scripture is teaching us here that we're to run that with endurance. We are to run the race that God has set before us. 
Now you may be saying, well, why would he, the writer of Hebrews here, or why would God say to us that we're to run with endurance? Life, isn't life a lot of fun? You know something, the word race here in our uh, language is the word is where we get the word the word race in the Greek language is the word where we get our word agony. Agony. How many of you know that life can be agonizing? How many of you know that life can be full of burdens and hardships and difficulties? And setbacks. And valleys. How many of you know that life can be full of agonizing problems? I want to tell you something. Until the Lord comes back, whether He takes you uh, by rapture one day or whether He takes you by, by death one day, we are guaranteed something. We are guaranteed difficulty. And I want to tell all of you today something. If you have not experienced difficulty and trials and hardships in your life yet, watch carefully. Just hold on because they're coming. And the Scripture is telling us in this passage of Scripture that we too are to endure the race set before us. That we're to endure the life's calling that God has given us. Sometimes we get the idea that once a, a person gets saved, that they, they uh, do as a pastor that I used to serve with uh, do, that, that, that uh, they sprout wings and grow a halo. I, I've yet to see that among us as believers. Sometimes we get the idea that once we follow Jesus, that our life becomes problem-free. The truth of the matter is, I want you to know this, uh, once you follow Jesus, your problems multiply. I used to serve with one pastor that would say it this way. When we get saved, that doesn't mean our troubles goes away. It means God comes in our life to get in trouble with us. And Chris, I want to tell you something. In the race that God has set before you and Alicia. The calling that he has set before you. And I want to say to all of you, the, the, the calling that he has set before each of us is a calling that has full of problems and difficulties. We're right here this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, there is a word that begins this chapter. Look back in your Bible in chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, therefore. Now, when we see the word therefore in the word of God, we need to ask ourselves a question. We need to ask ourselves, what is it there for? Well, this therefore is a word that actually means consequently. In other words, he's tying together the things that he's talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. And he's saying now consequently or as a result of that, I want you to know this in chapter 12. And when you go back into chapter 11, I'm sure you know this, it is called the Hall of Faith. And it's a listing of a few, not all, 
of the great saints of old that exercised deep faith in their lives. And I want you to know something. These people in Hebrews chapter 11 that make up the hall of faith, these are not people that were perfect. In fact, these were people that were not sinless. May I actually say it to you this way. In some cases, a few of these that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 committed horrific sin in their life. And yet, God recognizes them because at a point in their life, they exercise great faith in Him. Not only were they not perfect, though, I want you to know they were people that suffered greatly. They struggled in their life. They suffered for the call of God. In fact, look back in your Bible again, if you would, at verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, it gives us the idea... It gives us the idea that we are running this race, and that's the athletic imagery in this passage. But it gives us the idea that there's a crowd around us, gathered us, clapping and cheering us on. And I want to tell you, I believe there is some truth to that. Last yesterday afternoon when I arrived into town, Chris picked me up at the airport and he drove by me, uh, the, uh, drove me by the uh, uh, stadium at uh, uh, Iowa State University. What an amazing place and an amazing sight to see. I would rank it right up there behind Tennessee, but way above Georgia. And I can imagine all of the spectators in that stadium cheering on Iowa State. Well, there's some truth to the fact that these people that are listed in Hebrews 11 are witnesses to the faithfulness of God in our life. And they stand there cheering us on. But can I also tell you this? The word witnesses there in Hebrews 12 is our word martyrs. Friend, may I tell you something? These were not only witnesses to the faithfulness of God, they were martyrs for the call of God. They were enduring the life, the race that God had set before him, the life's calling that God had put there. Our time this morning doesn't allow us to take a deep look into Hebrews 11. So if you don't mind, I'm going to mention one person. I'm just going to mention the person that's mentioned in verse 32. He says, and what more shall I say? For time shall fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets. Let's just think of David for just a moment. David. We know David as a great king of Israel. We know David as a a man after God's own heart. But I want to remind you of something. That David was out in the fields 
tending to the flock of God of, of his father, taking care of the of the sheep. When Samuel showed up that day to anoint him. And when they brought David from the field back to his father's home. And when he walked in and Samuel the prophet had him kneel down and they took that oil. And they anointed the head of David. I want you to know something. Listen carefully. From that day forward, David's life became a life that he had to endure. Now you and I think of, yeah, but he got to live in the palace. And yes, he got to be the king. But can I tell you something? He had the ridicule of his brothers when he went to see Goliath. He had the vanity of Saul chasing him, jealous for him. He had his own sin that he suffered from. He had the consequences of those sin because of his choices to disobey God. He had his own sense of family rebellion. In fact, he had his own advisors in his own camp that turned on him. What does all this say to us? Chris, what does it say to you? What it says to us is that we must endure the race set before us. Let me give you a second thing that we're to endure. We are to endure the weights that slow us down. We are to endure the weights that slow us down. Look in verse in chapter 12 again he says in the middle of verse of chapter 12 verse 1 let us lay aside every encumbrance i'm reading out of the the new american standard bible your bible may say let us lay aside the weight the weight what's he talking about there when he's talking about weight well i don't believe he's talking about sin and the reason I don't believe that is because in the next phrase he says, and the sin. And I'll come to that in a minute. But I think what he's telling us here is that there are some things in our life that weigh us down. That slow us down. And it calls us to uh, keep from running this race the way that God intended us. To run this race. I think he's talking about the things that are slowing us down. Remember the imagery here in this passage. He's talking about a race. A run. Likely a marathon, by the way. Not a sprint. When a runner would prepare for a, a race, that runner would strap weights onto his or her ankles in order to strengthen their legs. That runner would, would strap weights onto their wrist or onto their arms. Sometimes that runner, again in preparation for the race, would even wear a weighted vest in order to uh, uh, <clears throat> in order to strengthen <clears throat> in order to strengthen themselves. But when race time came. When it was time to run, 
where the gun sounded. Just before that, that runner would take those weights and that runner would throw them off. In fact, look back in your Bible, if you would, again at verse 1 where he says, and let us lay aside every way. You know what that phrase, lay aside, means? It means throw it off. It means get rid of it. And it means get rid of it as though not to pick it up again. You know what I believe the writer of Hebrews is saying to us? I think he is saying to us that there are weights in our life that are slowing us down from being the men and women of God that God has called us to be. And Chris, I want to tell you, I want to charge you to endure well because there are some things in your life that are weighty that you need to get rid of. It would be very appropriate for me today, Chris, to say here, get rid of your fellowship of the Georgia Bulldogs. It's weighting you down. But the truth of the matter is, and you can tell we have a loving friendship. But the truth of the matter is, Chris, in your life, Alicia in yours, and in mine, in all of yours, there are habits that we need to let go of. Maybe there are relationships that slow us down. Maybe there are activities that are not sinful but they just need to go away. Very special person in my life, my wife, who is dear to God and loves God and walks passionately with God, has recently embarked on a, a journey of setting aside, throwing off her social media. She said, it's just weighed me down. Chris, it could be something good. You know, so much of the Christian life that we live is not a choice between the good and the bad. We, hate, we know how to make that choice. But it's a choice between the good and the best. And I want to say to you, Chris, and I want to say to all of us, and I want to say to me, David, that we are endure well and choose the best that God has and not be settled for just the good Maybe it's how we spend our time. Maybe it's how we spend our money. Whatever it is, we are to endure well because there are weights that slow us down. Let me give you a third one. We must endure the sin that causes us to stumble. We must endure well because of the sin that causes us to stumble. Look in chapter 12 again in verse 1. By the way, some of you are wondering, David, you said we were going to look at 17 verses and you're still in verse 1. Don't worry, we'll be okay. He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. And the sin. 
Chris, you and I can think of pastors that we know. Friends that started off running their calling and got caught in sin and were trapped and have stumbled in their spiritual lives. You and I in this room, we can, you, you in this room can look around and think about people that, that perhaps used to sit here or here or here and wonder, where are they today? And you know in your heart that there's some sin they're caught in. Now, by the way, I, I want to say something to all of us as, as a church, and I especially say this to me. We're to never stand in judgment and in condemnation. Were it not for grace, that might be us. In fact, we're to pause and we're to say, God, is there sin in my life I need to confess? Is there any sin in my life I need to confess? You see, what sin does in our life is it, it gets in and it just looks for a small place to land. It just looks for a, a, a small place. And then when it gets there, it, it takes us a little deeper and a little deeper. Someone has said this, that sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. And that's exactly the truth. There's an illustration of this found in Hebrews chapter 12. Look over, if you would, in chapter 12. And turn over to verse um, uh, 15. If you would, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. We're in Hebrews 12, verse 15. That no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble, and by it, and by it many be defiled. And that there is no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. With many tears. Did you see some of those words that were listed there in that passage? There's that word bitterness. That word immorality. Or immoral person. That word defilement. That word godless. Can I tell you something? Esau is a classic example of somebody in their life. Would you watch carefully as I share this, please? Esau is a classic example of somebody in their life who understood the meaning of, re of regret. He regretted the things that he did in his life. Esau is a classic example of somebody in his life who felt remorse. The Bible even says, though he had many tears, he felt sorrow. But Esau is a classic example of somebody who drew the line and said, regret is enough and remorse is enough, but I will not repent and turn from my sin. And Chris, I appeal to you as a brother in Christ, and church family, I appeal to you as a, as a brother in Christ that we should all, 
endure well because sin is standing at the door, causing us, wanting to cause us to stumble. And I want to encourage you today to stay away from it. Endure well the race set before us. Endure well the weights that slow us down. Endure well the sin because there is sin that wants us to stumble. Now I have two more truths. But we're going to pray first and we're going to sing. And then we'll come back and mention these two as we finish up the service. Would you pray with me for a minute? Thank you, Lord, that you call us in your word to endure. Thank you in your word that you give us the example of Jesus who endured well. And God, would you help us to endure these things? And God, I pray especially you would help Chris and Alicia as they endure these things. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the end here, uh, sometime in the next couple of hours, I want to um, share two more things that we're to endure. Fourth, we must endure the chastening that confirms us as sons. Chris, this is for you, but this is really for all of us. Would you follow along as I start reading in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 4? You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Important word. My son, important word. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or the chastening of the Lord. Nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. 
But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We must endure the chastening, the discipline of God that confirms to us that we are sons, that we are his children. My father, my earthly father, has been in heaven now for almost 33 years. My earthly father was a very sick man. He was born with a disease called hemophilia. He was a free bleeder. And he struggled all of his life with his health. So to the point that my, by the time I came along, my father was walked with a limp. He was crippled. He later carried a cane, crutches, a walker, a wheelchair. And then at his passing, he was in a hospital bed in our home. But when I was a young child and it was time to discipline me, my mother always seemed, and maybe always is a stretch, but it seems like she always left that to my dad. And he would come home from work and it was time to go back to my room and I knew what was coming. And because my dad was crippled, I would take advantage of that. I would jump over my bed and get into the corner between the wall and the bed. And my father would waddle around over there to me. And about the time that he would get there, I would jump across the bed and get back on the other side. I was an awful child. Inevitably, that led to dad getting a chair and sitting down so that the only way out of that corner that I was in and that door was through him. And I want you to know something. In the most spiritual sense that I can say this, not in a fleshly, wrong, beating kind of way, my dad wore me out. But I noticed something. If it was something that I did to get in trouble with the neighbors, if it was something my friend Mark, who lived up the street, did, my father never disciplined Mark. If it was the young man that was a friend who lived across the street, if it was Harry, he never disciplined Harry. If it was uh, Joey or, or Richie that lived on the other end of the street that I played ball with, if it was those guys, he never disciplined those guys. Why? Well, they weren't his sons. I was. And I want you to know something. Not any of us enjoy 
the discipline of God, the training of God, or even the punishment, either side of the coin you choose. But I want you to know something. We are to endure it well because when God disciplines or chastises us, He is doing that as a father to His children. In fact, sometimes when we go through the disciplining disciplining of God, we wonder, God, do you love me? And the reality is, that is the voice of the enemy because it is that act that signifies that God does love me. And though it's not joyful, and though it is painful, and though it is not something that any of us desire, I want you to know we are endure it well in the confidence that God is our Father, and we are his children. 2021 has been a challenging year. In fact, the last year and a half has been a challenging year in my own life. By the way, it's been a challenge for most pastors. And if you are not praying for Pastor Will, and you are not praying for Pastor Chris, would you join today, me, in doubling those efforts to pray for him, pray for these men. They pray for you. The truth is, it's an affirmation of God's love for us. And it's an affirmation that when He is disciplining us, He is disciplining us, watch, to build spiritual character in our lives. He is building in us the peaceful fruit of right living righteousness. And so, church family, I want to say to all of you, endure the discipline that no doubt you've gone through this last year. And see it as a way that God, who loves you as a father, is building spiritual character in your life. Pastor Will, I was going through this passage last night. In, my, in the hotel room, and I, I, I found another sermon just in these words, in these verses right there. I, I, I wrote actually another sermon, but don't worry, I, I'm not going to preach it now. In fact, let me get to the last point and then we'll be through. We must endure the people that contribute to our sanctification. And if you don't know what that word sanctification means, it means becoming more like Christ. I'm talking about the people in your life that frustrate you, that irritate you, that you find difficult to love. In fact, Could we all just do an exercise together for a moment? Would it be all right? Would you look at the person beside you and roll your eyes and say, God is using you to make me more like him. Isn't it true? I mean, isn't it true that That we're to endure the the people around us. Chris, ministry would be great if it weren't for people. 
And I say that tongue-in-cheek. But I say it to all of us to say that there are people, there are people that God puts in our pathway. He puts us along this race. And those people make us more like Jesus. Some of those people are hostile. In fact, if you don't believe that, just listen to verse 3. It's talking about Jesus and he says, For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself. (laughs) They're just people that are hostile to us as believers. And may I just say to you, without preaching another sermon, that we are facing a day, I believe, as believers in Christ Jesus, that it will become more difficult to wave the flag of Jesus without persecution. So let's endure well. But it will also be the people within the camp that cause us to become more like Christ. Verse 14 says this. It says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification with which no one will see the Lord. As we come to the end of this message, giving you five things for you to endure, five reasons for us to endure. But I wonder where you are in this race today. I wonder where you are. I wonder if you find yourself where I have found myself this year. In verse 12 and verse 13. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak. And the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet. So that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint. But rather be healed. Some of you in this room today. Some of us in this room today. And some of us, perhaps watching online, are running this race, would you watch, with our shoulders shrunk and our hands hanging down and our knees bent and our hands tired and we're just struggling in the race. We know we're saved. Perhaps you know you're facing it because discipline and you know that's a confirmation of God's love for you and that he and that you are his child. But it still doesn't make you different. You know that you're struggling and you're tired and your shoulders are bent over and the race has become tiresome. To you, God says in this chapter, Strengthen yourself. 
Strengthen yourself. He, he says, make your, make your hands and your legs and your knees and your ankles and your arms. Make them strong again. Endure well. And I, I want to say to you, uh, Crossroads Church, what a great church this is. What a wonderful people. I've been so blessed today at your kindness and your graciousness. And I, I just want to say to you, strengthen yourself in the faith. Run well. Endure well. And if you find yourself sitting in this room today, and you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you what it means to be saved? Number one, it means that every sin, past, present, and future, is forgiven. And placed away in God's sea of forgetfulness. Never to be remembered. To be saved means every sin is forgiven. To be saved means that uh, I am adopted into the family of God. And that God has become my father. And that I have a family around me. And that I will always be his. Would you like that? Would you like to be in his family? To be saved means that the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell, to live inside of us forever. To be saved means that I can trust Him with my everyday problems. It means that I can trust Him with a virus, with financial difficulties, with a job loss, with relational difficulties, with family problems. It means that he's come to get in trouble with me. And to be saved means that one day I'll spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Those words there spell out the word faith. And that's how you become saved. Told you what it means to be saved. But the way you are saved is by placing your faith where God placed your sin. On the shoulders of Jesus on the cross. And so I would say to you today, if today you want to be saved, if you will simply turn from your life of sin and trust Him by faith, you'll be saved. For there's a promise in Romans 10, 13 that says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I want you to know something. That is a promise from God's word, and God does not lie. So church family, I encourage you to endure well. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. For your love. Thank you, Lord, that even when you discipline us, it is an act of your love. And so, Lord, we close the book today. 
having had you, Holy Spirit, feed us all. And as this life gets more difficult, and this race gets more challenging, help us, Lord, to look to Jesus and endure well. And we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to take a moment here and just uh, pray for Chris. And going to have Chris come up and our deacons. If you're a deacon, you can come up as well. Uh, and just lay our hands on him and pray for him as we seek to um, just ask God's blessing on his ministry here. The Bible describes pastors as gifts to the church. Not that he's a perfect gift, but actually, it, but he's a gift in his teaching, even in his life, in his ability to, 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 to share the word and to live the word even in his failures, to help us to, to, to go back to Christ well. And so uh, just men, circle around Chris here. Uh, lay your hand, don't put your weight on him, but you can lay your hands on him. And uh, let's just pray for Chris and, and Alicia as, as uh, he is a part of our ministry here. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you. We're grateful that you allowed, even during COVID, to have Chris and Alicia be able to move up here and become part of this ministry. And it's, it's been uh, a challenging year, but we, you've, you've blessed, you've guided, you've directed, you've helped us, and you've helped us through the gift of Chris and Alicia being with us. And we're so grateful for their ministry. We pray that you would, you would bless them, you would strengthen them as uh, Pastor David preached this morning that you would strengthen their hands and their knees, you would give them straight paths for their feet, that they would be able to run the race before them well, and that they would be a blessing to us as a result. May your hand of blessing be on them, may your hand of guidance be with them, may, your, uh, may, the, may you give him words to speak and uh, decisions to make that will be a blessing to those around him and especially to uh, our church, and then as we seek to be a light and to be uh, to to love our community, to share your love with them, help help Chris to be a blessing to us in that process. In your son's name, Amen.